I'm excited because I'm beginning to get feedback from, from some of the staff ministers that some people are beginning to get this. Because it takes time. Now, I've got other things I really have in my heart to get on and teach about this year. But I keep sensing the Spirit pulling me back and saying, take your time. Because what we're really about is what is known as a paradigm shift. Paradigm is the whole terms in which you see the world around you. And, and we're learning to see ourselves differently. We're learning to see ourselves not just as individuals that belong to, to Christ and belong to Faith Christian Center, but we're learning to see ourselves literally as one body and individually members of it. That's what your identity is. And that takes time because whatever, I mean, I've been on this earth 64 years, almost 65, and, you know, it takes time to change patterns of thinking. But by the anointing of the Spirit of God, we can do that. And that's really what we're about, is learn to see ourselves differently, to see ourselves in relationship to one another differently, and to see ourselves in our relationship with God differently. Only then can God really do through us what He wants to do. And so that's why our t- we're taking our time to do this. And so that's what we've talked about, that we're one body. That's why we talked about that we're members of one another. And now we've gone down into verse 12 of Ephesians 4, which tells us, verse 11 says that there's five, there's five gifts given to the church. And these are just functions. They're, God chooses people and, and gives them this gifting. And the purpose of those five gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, is to equip the saints. We've talked about the fact that we're all saints. Saints just means you've been set apart, and you're set apart because you're in Christ. And that we're equipped. That means to mend and to give to you what's necessary to accomplish what your purpose is. And then we began to look at that. The reason that we're equipped is so that we, the saints, can do the work of the ministry. And we looked at that word work, which means to do something. It's not enough to sit. It's not enough to grow. It's not enough to learn. All of that is with the purpose of of doing something. While we were singing earlier uh, during praise and worship, we were singing about, uh, you know, that God didn't, that we didn't call God, He called us. Yeah. That He didn't wait for us to draw near to Him. That's so powerful. But He clothed Himself with frail humanity. I love that line. Oh. And all what went off in me is in John chapter 15, Jesus says to His disciples, one of the last things He says to them is, You did not choose me, I chose you. That's so powerful and profound. To understand for us today that you didn't choose God. He chose you. I want to say that again. You didn't choose God. He chose you. Because if we think we chose Him, that means we talked Him into accepting us. Now, because we're human, we like to put our best foot forward or project the best image of ourselves. So the thinking often is, well, I, somehow I convinced God to accept me, but if he really knew what I was like, then we're in trouble. And yet what the scripture says is you didn't choose him. He chose you. And when he chose you, he knew everything about you. And yet he still chose you. Not only that, we know about God, he doesn't make mistakes. So when he chose you, he did not make a mistake. You are not a mistake. Whether your parents wanted you or not, God did. 
whether your parents planned for you or not, God did. And we went back and looked in Ephesians 1, 1 where we saw that you are called and ordained before the foundation of the earth. God looked forward in time and saw you and said, I want you before you were ever the gleam in your father's eye. And he chose you. And then we saw in chapter 4 in the first verse, he called you. All of this was done before you were ever born. Knowing everything about you, all your weaknesses, all your thoughts, all your frailties, and yet God chose you. Why would he do that? Because God, what God wanted to do was to then put into you a gift and cultivate that gift so that and when God uses that gift, he'll get the glory and not because of how good you are or smart you are or how strong you are. And that's really what we were looking at last week. Because it's the, the work that we're to do is the work of the ministry. The word ministry is the word diakonos, which means service. It literally means a table waiter. Somebody that takes the needs of one person to the person that can solve it, the chef. When the chef has prepared what the, 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 the meal, then the waiter takes the meal to the person that has the need. And that's what this word service really does. And it's work. Some of it looks spiritual and wonderful, and some of it is getting your hands dirty, just doing things. So we began to look at that. So what I want to go now is to Romans chapter 12. We were in Romans chapter 12 when we left last time. And what we're looking at in Romans chapter 12, here we're going to see that the Apostle Paul, and there's several places in the Scriptures where this is done, where he lists a sampling of these gifts. So again, what we're talking about is that because, according to Ephesians 4, verse 12, because we are saints, simply believers, we've been given a work to do. And we're going to look at, and one of the purposes of going through that this last Sunday this Sunday and whatever long it takes, is I want to go through some of these gifts because one of the things we looked at is they've been given to every one of us. So we're going through, again, these are just a sampling. We're going to start in verse 3. But I say to you, through the grace given to me, and we've talked about the fact that this word grace, what it means literally is something that's been given to you that you didn't deserve. Or in some cases, something wasn't given to you that you deserve to get. But in this context, we're talking about something that's been given to you. And of course, the most basic meaning of it, or where it applies, is to our salvation. Ephesians four, or excuse me, 2, verse 8 says that we are saved by grace through faith. And that's not of our own, it's a gift from God. Even the faith to receive the grace is a gift from God. So our salvation is something God has given to us, not what we deserve, but he's given to us not just the forgiveness of our sins, but that salvation also includes that we've been made to be sons and daughters of the living God. We've been given his righteousness, all out of an act of grace of God's heart and God's nature. 
And if you read in Ephesians 2, the purpose of it is, one of the purposes is God is going to reveal to the ages to come the greatness of his mercy. See, God's not about proving how powerful he is. Who does he have to prove it to? What God wants to prove is how gracious he is and how good he is. And you, he's chosen to use as an example of how gracious and how loving and of how good he is. So he takes what the, word, what the song says, a wretch like you and me. We had some people that knew they were wretches. And you had people like me, I was a good wretch. <laughs> I thought I was a good person. Not realizing that in God's eyes how far short I fell. And so God bestows this grace upon us. But the word grace means everything God gives us that we don't deserve. So it also means in some context that God has given, and here Paul's referring to, to the grace that was given to him, which was to serve as an apostle and as a teacher to impart things into new believers and to take the gospel to much of the unsaved world at the time. That was a grace that was given to him. The ability to do that, and Paul was highly educated. Paul was highly skilled and trained in the art of religion, in the art of teaching, in all those things because he was a Pharisee. And he sat at the feet of one of the great rabbis of the time, Gamaliel, and was trained by him. So he was skilled and he was trained and he was, he was intelligent and he was articulate. And yet if you read in, a, in a Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, I've learned to set all of that aside. That the grace, that the, that the excellence may be of the grace that God's given to me and not of anything of my own. I count it but rubbish, he says, all my own abilities. And so the word grace that we're looking at here refers to gifts that God's given to us. And of course, because they're given to us, they are grace. But it's not just your salvation. It's other abilities that God gives to you for the purpose that we're studying. All right, let's read on. For I say to you through the grace given to me, now look at this, to everyone who is among you. So who is he talking to? Everybody. Not just the pastor, not just the preacher, not just the evangelist, but to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That means with a sound mind. Because we tend to go to one of two extremes. We tend, and what he's, what he's getting at here, the reason he's talking about not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought, because he's going to talk about gifts God's given to you. And human nature is that when we have some gift and we begin to realize that this operate in this gift, we tend to think God's given this gift because there's something special about us. In which case, it's no longer grace. It's something we earned. So Paul is saying here, he's trying to tell them, make sure that with, when you begin to recognize what I've, God's given to you, that you do it with a clear, sober, sound mind about what it is, where it came from, and why you've been given it. So you not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. That's what Paul's talking about here. 
It's in the context of these gifts. God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Notice again, to everyone, to each one. That means there is no one left out. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. It doesn't matter how unskilled you may think you are. It doesn't matter how unintelligent you may think you are. It doesn't matter how uneducated you think you are. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. The Word of God says He has given to every one of us something. But come and think about your body. Every part of your body has some purpose. To each one of us, a measure of faith has been given. Now, Paul refers to faith in a number of contexts. Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about the faith by which we're saved, and that's given to us. It's a gift from God. Then there's a faith by which we receive things from God. In, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it tells us that the faith that we've been given, we can cause to grow because it says faith comes by hearing right. and hearing by the word of God. But here there's a faith that's given to us for the operation of the gift that God's given to us. So the first thing we're going to know about this, second, first thing we know is it's a gift. Therefore, it's, it's an act of God's grace. Otherwise, it's not a gift. It's something we earned. The second thing we see about it is that in order for it to work properly, we have to operate it by faith. Now, why do we have to operate by faith? Faith basically means I'm trusting in what God said, not what I see. Now, let's turn that around and apply it to gifts that God's put in your life. Because most of us hold back because we say, you don't know who I am. God's not talking about who you are. God's not talking about what you can do. God's not talking about what you know. God's talking about what He's put in you. And often we don't discover what's in us until we step out to use it. And you've got to step out by faith because faith allows me to step out without feeling that it's there. And I shared with you last week, most of the time, between that blue chair over there and standing up here, I don't feel anything. But I've developed a confidence in the Spirit of God that when I stand up here, there will be an anointing that goes off for your sake. That the gift that God's put in me to teach will operate. But you know, it doesn't operate while I'm standing, sitting in that chair. It doesn't operate until I get up here and begin to open my mouth and you draw out of the need. So one of the things about a gift is that when God's given you a gift, you may not recognize what it is, but other people will begin to draw on it. They might not recognize what it is, but there will be an instinct because their need, like a magnet, is drawn to your gift. So we're going to learn, we may not get to it today, but we're going to learn how to identify the gift that's in you. Some of them are obvious, but some of them are not so obvious, and yet they're gifts. Let's go on and see what else Apostle Paul has to say. So what we see here is that Paul is telling us that we've been given a gift 
But then we've each been given a measure of faith that's proportionate to the gift we've been given. So that we're going to have to operate this gift by faith. Not by our natural abilities. Because if we operate it by our natural abilities, when we get near the needs, we'll pull back. We'll say, I don't have enough to give. Very often what causes people to pull back is either they have no confidence in themselves or they're afraid that if if I get around people that have needs, they're going to take everything I have. Oh, this is good. I've never taught this before. I need to hear this. But what Paul's teaching us is we're to operate in these gifts by faith in the one who gave us the gift. It's a partnership with God. Ministry, serving the body, serving God is partnering with Him. In a partnership, legally, what happens is you get people with different assets that come together for a common cause. That's legally what the definition of a partnership is. So in a very typical setup, what you have is you've got someone who's got an idea and a creativity or an insight or, or, or something that they want to do, whether it's a service they want to perform or it's a product that they want to build, but they don't have the money. You can have great ideas, great creativity, great vision, great focus, but it takes money, honey, <laughs> to produce it. So they meet somebody and they begin to share this idea and they say, you know what, that's a great idea. I've got some money that I need to invest. I want to put some money into this, into what your idea is so together we can take what's just an idea and cause it to come into fruition, cause it to come into being. Then you may have somebody else comes along and says, well, you know, I don't have the money and I don't have the creativity, but I know how to take it and organize a business and manage a business so I can bring some management skills to this partnership. So each one brings some talent or ability or resource and they bring it together for a common cause. That's part of the definition of a partnership. And then they share in the profits and they share in the risks. And God, for whatever reason, has chosen to do that. He takes you and me and says, I want to be a partner with you. He takes Faith Christian Center and says, there's something I want to do in this area, but I want to be a partner with you, and I want to do it with you and through you. So I'm going to bring to this partnership what you can't do. I'm going to bring the vision and I'm going to bring the power and the ability to carry it out. But you're going to bring what I can't do. You're going to bring the hands and the mouth and the feet. Oh, oh, oh. Go, go, go with me. Go with me to Romans chapter 10. We're going to get off track here a little bit, but it's good. Go back to Romans chapter 10. Verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, look at verse 12. There's no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. 
And that's where God's heart is this morning. His heart is full and it's rich to every person outside these four walls who will call upon Him. He's ready to answer their call. He's ready to save them and heal them. He's ready to deliver them. He's ready. His heart is rich towards them. For this is the principle. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how then shall they call on Him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? The word preacher just means someone who declares. In other words, how will they hear if someone he doesn't tell them? And how will they preach or tell if they're not sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim the gospel of peace or good news and bring glad tidings of good things, but they've not all obeyed the gospel. So God's saying here, I want to be a partner with you. I hear the cry in the nighttime of the hurting mother, the hurting father. I hear the heart of the lonely. I hear their cry that they may not even know they're crying out. They're lost. They're lonely. I hear them. And I want to answer their cry. But I don't have hands. And I don't have a mouth. And I don't have feet to go. So I've called you to be my partner at Faith Christian Center. I've called you to take me where I want to go. And you provide the feet, and you provide the hands, and you provide the mouth, and you provide the time, and I'll provide the ability. And I'll provide the power. That's my job. Your job's to go. Your job's to speak. Your job's to pray. Your job's to listen. You're my ears, my eyes, my hands, my feet. That's why I filled you with me. But you won't know what's in you until you get near the need. So if you stay within the four walls where it's safe, and secure. You'll never find the fullness of the gift I put in you. For my gift will only operate when it gets near the need. My gift will only flow when others draw upon it. For my gift has not been given to you for you. My gift has not been given to bless you. My gift has been given so that I can meet their needs. So don't wait to feel the gift. Don't wait to see the gift. Get near the needs. And you'll find the gift that I put in you. For I will not fail, says the Lord, because my heart is to answer their cry. I will not fail, says the Lord, because my heart cannot stop until I've met their need. So be not afraid. Be not afraid of what it will cost you. Be not afraid of what it will mean. For you will not run out. Because the flow is the flow of the fountain that I have put in you. Have not I said in my word that I have given to you rivers of living water that shall flow from you. And that is my spirit. 
but you will not feel the flow of my spirit until you get near the need. To every one of us, the faith was given to operate in the gift. And it takes faith because you think it's going to cost you too much. But all you're going to do is allow the gift to flow. I have no greater thrill in my life other than in my marriage, personal thrill, than allowing God's gift to flow through me. It's almost like a high to experience the anointing of the Spirit. And so I say, my wife gets concerned, are you going to wear yourself? I get more energized. I get more energized because it's the life of God. You realize the life of God is in you? His life will never run out. His, and Pastor Sam used to have the expression, we're like a hose that he wants to flow through. Guess what? The hose gets wet with whatever it's squirting on anybody else. Well, let's read on. Tell you, God's up to something. Verse 4, for as we have many members, talking about our body, in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then, and as a concept, see this is what we spent our time looking at up until now. We've looked at the fact that although we are many different people with many different from many different nationalities. I look over this congregation every Sunday and it's a joy to see the different colors of skin and the different ages and the different out physical appearances and all these wonderful differences that God's brought together as one. Only God can do this this way. And now we're beginning to realize that, that although we have differences in our background, we're one body. And, and the, we're learning, going to learn that the differences that we have spiritually are because we have different functions. Because the different parts of your body are different from one another, yet it's still one body. And we've talked about that before. Yeah. So if we're learning that we're one body, and the differences that we have are because we're different parts of that body. But we're still one body. Amen. See, that's why the devil likes to promote the differences and use those differences as a point of division. Yeah. Because if you can separate your hand from your body, then your hand is of no use to the body anymore, and the body hurts and cannot be as fully effective as it was with your hand. That's right. In the same way, if he can separate you from functioning together with his spiritual body, then you no longer have any spiritual threat to the enemy. You can do all kinds of wonderful things, but you're no threat to him. Because your only threat is when you're functioning as part of his body. Because he's the only one that's a threat to the enemy. You and I, our own, are no threat to him at all. Oh, the devil's after me. The devil doesn't even know who you are. You're not that important. Until you're connected to the body. Because the body's the one he's after. Because he knows what that body can do to him. 
So just as we are individually have different have differences, and those differences in our body are only differences because they're different functions. In the same way, our differences are only for the purposes of different functions. And yet we're one body. And now, having some confidence that they've got a handle on the fact that they're one body, he can begin to talk to them about their differences. And that's what we're beginning to do now. Verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So we've seen in verse 3 where Paul talks about the grace that was given to him to perform his function. Now he's saying we've been given gifts that differ from one another according to the different grace that we've each been given. Not the grace by which we're saved, but the grace by which the gift was given to us. Different gifts are different grace, but one purpose. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. And now he's going to give us sampling. And the list that we're going to go through is by no means a complete list. In fact, one of the things we're going to see about God is he is almost unlimited in the kinds of gifts that he can create. And that's why we have to be careful about categorizing them. Because you can't categorize God. You can't put him in boxes. See, God will take your own personality. That's the wonderful thing. In the last few weeks you've seen one, two, three, four pastors stand before you and minister. And each of them was different. Right? Different personalities. Although they're all pastors, that gift of a pastor operates differently through each one of them, right? You've just seen an example of that if you've been here. And yet the Spirit of God is able to work through them. And in some cases, that difference makes it easier to receive some things. In the same way, God takes your own personality that was formed through all kinds of experiences that you have. It was formed to some degree, I guess they believe now, through genetics, but also some through the experiences. I mean, we had an interesting experience. We have, I don't want to spend much time on it, we have uh, twin boys, identical twins. And so they have the same genetic background. They've been together since they were conceived in their mother's womb. Same environmental background. And yet you see the differences in their personality. And, 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 So I believe God creates those differences. He uses the experiences. He's God. And he uses the things you've been through. He'll use the hard things you've been through. He'll use the hurts and the disappointments that you've been through. He may not have caused them, but he'll use them to create in you sensitivities. There's nothing that helps you to be more sensitive and understanding of someone that's going through something than if you've been through it yourself. And God will use those experiences in you. So when we go through some of these gifts, don't start categorizing them. They're just a sampling. Because what I want to do as we're talking about them is I want to allow the Spirit of God begin to touch something in you. Awaken something in you. Whet your appetite about something. So having gifts, therefore, that differ 
according to the grace that was given to us. Let us use them. Now, we're going, he's going to go through several of them here, and the principle is this, is how to use them. Not mechanics, but he's talking about operating them by faith. That's the thing we're looking at this morning. So we have prophecy. Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, why do you need faith to prophesy? Because prophecy says, I'm speaking for God. And we touched on this last week. Told you what they did in the Old Testament when they spoke for God. They had a very simple way of discerning whether you were a prophet or not. They waited to see whether it came about. If it came about, they called you a prophet. If it didn't come about, they stoned you to death. So you only made the mistake once. Therefore, it took faith, because obviously some of them spoke out. Or we wouldn't have certainly the writing prophets that we have. So some of them did speak out knowing that if they spoke falsely under the old covenant, they'd be stoned. Now later on they dropped some of that practice because they had false prophets, because they had ungodly kings. But in the beginning, especially under Moses, and especially under David and some of the others, were godly kings. I mean, there was a price if you were wrong. So it took faith to speak for God. The reason people are so quick to speak for God now is we don't have a proper fear of the Lord. So we say, thus saith the Lord, when it was really my feelings and my emotions. This is why we don't do a lot of thus saying the Lord here. So it takes faith. If you're going to truly prophesy, speak for God... It takes faith. But if that, he'll give you that faith if he's given you that gift. Now, there's a general prophecy, which we may talk about at some point. But he's talking about prophesying for God. Okay, and I want to dwell on prophecy. Verse 7. Or ministry, which is that same word service again. Let us use it. Let it in other words, if we've been given that gift of ministry, of service, then let us use it in our Serving. So there's a natural human serving and there's a serving that comes as a gift from God. They're both serving. And that word serving there again is a very generally a very menial thing. It's all service. What I'm doing right now is serving. Amen. And, there's, and so it's all serving. And, I, and, I, and when you are in a public gift, when you're a gift that gets public feedback, You have to maintain that attitude constantly that I'm serving. So whatever compliments you get, you have to make sure you pass them through to the source and understand that whatever... God opened my eyes to see this one. It was was so helpful. He said, son, understand this. When they get excited when you teach, they're not excited about you. But the gift that I've given to you enables you to make me clear to them. What they're excited about me is through the gift they can see me more clearly. That's what they're excited about, not you. When you were a lawyer, they weren't that excited about you. So it's not you. It's because they can see me because I've given you a gift to help them see me more clearly. And that helps me keep my head straight. 
Because we're human. You get enough people saying, oh, you're great, you're great, you're great. Every time I hear that, I answer it inside of myself. Even Jesus did. He said, there's no one great but Him. My goodness has come from Him. Because Jesus was a servant. So in ministering, we are to minister, serve, with the faith that we've been given to serve one another. And again, that does take faith. Because if we serve out of our own humanity, human service has limits. Well, you know, it's not convenient right now. It's not comfortable right now. It's not, you know, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I have enough to give. But see, when you're serving by his gift and by faith, you know he will supply what is needed. But it takes faith to operate in that, to exercise it. You may think, well, I don't have anything to give. But recognize that's one of the things I want you to see this morning, that physically taking care of each other's needs is ministry. Jesus did a lot of that. You read through the Gospels. The two things he did the most was to preach the word and to minister to people's physical needs. He healed the sick. He cast out demons that were tormenting people. He didn't put limits on who he could do that on. Where there were needs and they called upon him, he met them. Amen. Come on, talk. He healed the sick. He brought back a mother's dead son. He ministered to people's act. He fed them. In the process, he was ministering the word to them. But he also ministered to their needs. See, religion tells you God doesn't care about people's natural needs. He's above them. But he's the one that created this flesh. He's the one that created this stuff that we live in, this thing we live in. In fact, there's several places in the Bible that says, you know, one of the measures of your spirituality and your faith is what you're doing with the natural things. If you say you love your brother and they've got a physical natural need and you don't reach out and meet that physical natural need if you're able to, then that really isn't love because love acts. Love meets needs. And that's really what we're here for is to meet the needs in partnership with God because you can't meet them on your own. It's overwhelming on your own. Okay, let's go on and look at one more. Verse 7, our ministering or serving, let us use it. What? Faith in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. So you have to exercise faith to use the teaching gift that you've been given. And there are different types of teaching gifts. When I would have school of ministry, I would teach the people in there that were teachers, don't do it the way I do it. There's just something about the gift that God's given to me that operates differently. And so you need to find out, we'll talk about how to find out, but you need to exercise faith in teaching. So if you're, if you're a teacher and you're teaching in children's church, you need to exercise your faith to use that gift. I do that. I exercise my faith to come up here and to teach it. Because without the Spirit of God anointing that gift, I told you last week, I think it was the first service, I told last week, it was the dullest thing I've ever sat through, and I was the teacher. It was agonizing. When the preacher's looking at his own watch to say, when is this thing over? (laughs) 
Oh, God, can we please end this because this is excruciating. And I believe God allowed me to go through that so that I could experience what it was like to try to teach without the anointing. I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, how do you do that? And I said, I've looked for years for the button. Where do I? And there is none. It's faith. I trust God has given me a gift to use for the sake of the people that he's put me with. And therefore, God will use it. So in teaching, you have to exercise faith. In prophesying faith. In serving in faith. We'll go on. We've got time, I think, to look at one more. We'll try this one. The next one is, well, maybe we'll finish these. Exhortation. To exhort just means to encourage. To, to, and, and See, these are functions. Because we're human. We have human needs, so we need to be ministered to, physically ministered to. But because we're human, we can get down, discouraged. Ever have a day when you get up and you're just not as excited as you might have been the day before? Oh, come on. Let's be real. There's some days you've got to pull yourself out of bed. Some days you've got to pull yourself into church. Some days I've got to pull myself into church. <gasps> I'm human. Walk in and somebody comes up, like Pastor Ray or somebody, you know, that has this, just as an encourager. Just look at you. Some of you do this to me and you don't know it. Some of you encourage me and you don't realize you're doing that. You encourage one another and don't even know you're operating in a gift. You're exhorting one another, encouraging one another. Do you have any idea how important encouragement is? Because what encouragement does is it inspires us to get our will moving again. Because your will decides whether you're going to do what God's got you doing. And and the enemy knows how to wear us down and discourage us and, and throw thoughts at us to get us to want to quit. And then you get around somebody that just looks at you and just, you know, says, good morning. It's good to see you. And that level just begins to come back up again. They're encouraging you. The body is ministering to itself. That's good. The body is administering to itself. Do you ever wake up and your hands asleep or your foot's asleep? What do you do? You get up and you, you try to get the blood moving. What's happening? The rest of my arm is trying to encourage my fingers and get them going, get some life back in them again. And some of you, many of you, are encouragers, exhorters. But you may need to operate in faith to do it some days. You may not feel like you can do it. I shared with you a few weeks ago a time when I was just really discouraged, early as a Christian. And we were struggling, and I don't know what, was, what the issue was, and I was really struggling. I just cried out to God, I need help. I need somebody to help me. I don't know how to get out of where I am. And the phone rings. And I pick up the phone... And it's somebody I knew that was asking me for help. I'm thinking. How, what, what, where, where did I miscommunicate here? I got them on the phone. It's not like, we didn't call waiting in those days. Like, I can't bother. It's like, and I'm hearing, John, John. It's like, I'm saying, and all of God, you know, no silence. Yes, uh-huh, 
if you only knew what I'm going through. Yes, I didn't say that, but that's my thinking is. You know, how can, I'm thinking this. How can I help you where I am? But I had a decision to make. I had to step out by faith and start speaking words of encouragement to that person. But guess what? As I spoke words of encouragement, I had to dig down into a well in which I had put the Word of God and begin to draw up what I didn't feel like I had there anymore. And I had to begin to give to somebody else what was in me I couldn't feel. So I had to do it by faith. Faith and feelings are the opposite of each other. If you're doing it by feelings, you're not doing it by faith. If you do it by faith, you don't need your feelings. So I didn't feel anything, but I began to act that way anyway. And as I did, I did what Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that's in you. Stir that gift up. Because there was a demand put on that gift, and I didn't even know it was in there at that point, but I started acting as if it was in there, and then guess what? It began to flow. And by the time I was off that phone, I was all flying and charged up. And I looked at God and said, you are sneaky. Use your faith to use your gift. Yeah. 